The law says no man is allowed to make love to his wife with the smell of garlic, onions, or sardines on his breath. Didn't even have to solicit. The amen came. And it goes on to say, which is interesting, if the wife demands it, the husband must brush his teeth. Well, hmm, glory to God. Now this one, just, I couldn't believe it. Still can't believe it. In Cali, Colombia, a woman must only have sex with her husband, and the first time it happens, her mother must be present in the room. <sighs> Woo! All right. Boy, that's going to that's gonna dredge up some images that aren't good. I got you. In Washington, D.C. I can, no, I can't even repeat this one. I, I just can't. I'm not even going to. No. How many of you want to? No, 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 no. Maybe sometime at Hugo's I'll tell you what that one is. <clears throat> How many of you hope one day to be married? Let me see your hands. Good. How many of you look forward? And Well, let me back up. How many of you are married now? Let me see those hands. Awesome. And then there's the number of you that are looking forward to it as well. How many of you desire to have all that God intends for you in the commitment of marriage? Let me see those hands. Awesome. Now, how many of you are planning within your experience of marriage to have or participate in adultery? Let me see those hands. Well, praise God. I was glad to see that. Now, you might say, preacher, why would you ask that question? In the research for this message this morning, looked at 12 different surveys done related to marriage. And I'm sharing with you the most conservative of these 12. Conservative studies show that over 50% of men and 42% of women will commit adultery at some point in their adult lives. That's a staggering number, isn't it? And that brings us to what some might consider a strange, another strange law about sex, but this one's found in the Bible. God's seventh command from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20:14, it says, "You shall not commit adultery." It must have been an important issue for God to put it in the Ten Commandments. Can I say, or would you say amen? The New Testament, I think, says it best in Hebrews 13 and verse 4. And this was our verse that we were going to read together, so let's just do that, okay? Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I probably could stop here and sing an invitation hymn. I wish I didn't have to cover this subject. Adultery, the word is a powerful word, isn't it? But I want to up front say that I'm very sorry if you have had an experience with this in some way. That it's touched your life, either personally or maybe a mother and a dad or... Uh, Maybe a, a, a leader that you admired. And I want you to know that I'm very sorry for the pain that this type of thing brings. And there's no doubt that many, when they hear this message, will be reminded of the sting of that pain. 
But I also believe that if you've experienced that pain, you would want me to share ways that you can handle it, avoid it, and deal with it. And so my intention is not to create fear. But yet my intention is to send you home with some tools that will help you in your relationship or your future relationship. There are people I know in this room and maybe not in this room, I hope not in this room, but people that I know, that I encounter, that you encounter, who are struggling with this very thing. They're, they're, they're playing with danger. But I want us to get right on into this study. And uh, Do any of you remember the movie, uh, What About Bob? Do any of you remember that one? Bill Murray. Bill Murray, uh, in the show, he couldn't go anywhere unless he did what? Do any of you remember? He had to take what? Baby steps, that's right. He had to take baby steps to get wherever he went. And baby steps are important. Because if you have baby steps, then you can get to bigger steps. And I believe with all of my heart that this message today is going to help us understand that this problem of adultery doesn't just happen. There are baby steps that are taken that create the path. And so we're going to talk about those who are slipping into it. And we're going to look at eight common steps. And that come, these come from a study of a counselor who, who studied couples, hundreds of couples who had been unfaithful to each other. And he counseled them and studied them and he asked them questions. And these eight common baby steps showed up. Let me, let me get it for you right quick. Number one, they began to enjoy common interests. A man sees a woman at work and they begin to work on projects together. Or a woman sees a man in a Bible study and they enjoy studying the Bible together. Or they're playing sports together and we have common interests. And then one spouse begins to compare this other person to his or her spouse. And then, well, you know what? We don't have to, uh, we don't have that kind of fun in, in our relationship. So they begin to enjoy common interests. Secondly, they begin to share personal information. I mean, here's what's going on in my life, what's going on in your life, and all of a sudden there becomes this emotional bond that springs up. Number three, anticipating time together. I mean, you can't wait to be with them. You wonder what you should wear that day. You look forward to time together with this person. Why? Because it just kind of feeds you where you are and where your needs are. Number four, hiding the friendship from my spouse. I mean, it's, we're not doing anything wrong, but it's better that my wife or my husband doesn't really know about you at this point. And this friendship, let, let's just keep it quiet. Number five, flirting. Minor arousing touches. Maybe an innocent touch, a hug that lasts too long. Maybe a squeeze on the shoulder, a, a little gift is given to say, thank you for your friendship, you mean so much to me. A little note or, you know, whatever. Number six, inventing excuses to call or to meet. Hey, after all, we've got to get this lesson for Sunday school together. Hey, we've got this big project at work. I mean, hey... We're on the same sports team. We've got to practice, right? We've got to spend some time. We've got to get our game down. We need to spend time together. Number seven, 
deceiving words and actions. We start lying about it. We lie to others. And more importantly, we lie to ourselves. Number eight, physical inappropriateness. One decision after another decision and baby steps take us into trouble. You've got to understand and never ever forget that we have an enemy and his name is Satan. And that enemy wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission statement. Everything that matters to the heart of God. And you will find few things that matter more to the heart of God than the covenant of a Christian marriage. Amen? Because it's in that covenant of marriage that God defines and describes our relationship with Him so often in Scripture. Marriages are under attack and today we are going to discover how we can protect our marriages from the attack of the evil one. And we're going to look in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to do a little bit from what Brother Don did thoroughly through the summer and, and uh, in the fall. I tell you, he did a great job in the book of Proverbs. Many of you commented how appreciative you were of the depth of the teaching that he gave. And I'm just going to try to scratch the surface. But I want to give you three things that you need to put into your marriage to help. Number one, radically reduce the risk. In Proverbs chapter 5 is where we find our three points. And in verses 8 through 10, we find this point number one. It says, keep to a path. Or keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. You radically keep Satan away from your door of temptation. We must redefine the line of sin. And the line of sin is not the inappropriateness. The line of sin starts way back in baby step number one. The first sin line we cross is never physical, it's emotional, it's mental. In fact, Jesus said it this way, and men, you will know this verse. It says, if you look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed what? Where? Jesus is saying the line doesn't start at physical sin, it starts with emotional and mental sin. It starts in the heart. So what we are going to learn is to keep a long path from it. Radically reduce the risk. We're going to draw the line at the baby step number one. We don't even cross the first line of temptation. Now I want to ask yourself to ask you a question. <coughs> and be honest. If a video was taken of your activity and your interaction between the opposite sex every day, while you're at work. Would your spouse, when they see the video, would they be proud of you as a man or a woman of integrity and faithfulness? Or would your spouse be nervous, hurt, crushed, maybe even broken about what your spouse saw? Interesting thought, isn't it? How do you interact all day long? Would, you, would your spouse say, hey... Man, I, I, I love this guy. Oh, boy, look at her. Isn't she just operating awesome? Well, I want to give you some bullet thoughts on how to avoid the risk. And there's six of them. Thank you, Brother Don, for being ahead of the game. 
Number one, keep a growing relationship with Christ. Let your relationship keep growing daily in God's Word in prayer. And that's the first thing to do. That's that first baby step spiritually. Keep a growing relationship with Christ. Number two, get accountability. Get somebody around you who will who you will let be gut level honest with you, and when they hear you talking about these relationships, will look you dead straight in the eye and say, What in the world are you doing? What are you doing? And if you go near that person, I'm gonna hurt you. You know what I'm talking about? You gotta have somebody that loves you enough that'll get in your face and tell you you're wrong. Good, okay. Number three, never be alone with the opposite sex. Now, I understand that's difficult. I understand that. But, boy, set that as a practice to never get away with somebody alone. And it's even lunches. I occasionally will take uh, Tammy to lunch, but I always try to make sure somebody's with us. But sometimes I don't. In fact, one time I didn't. We went down to Los Cabos. Now, I'm the preacher in Jinx. Been here 16 years, right? Most people know who I am. At least every month I'm in the Jinx Express. My mug is in there. So I'm going to go to a restaurant in Jinx with another woman besides my wife. Had a member of the church call me and say, who were you at lunch with the other day? I said, um, Tammy, our secretary. She said, well, a friend of mine called and said, you were stepping out on your wife. <laughs> I, I just had nachos, man. I, I'm not telling you, I just had nachos. But it taught me a lesson. That, that, that showed me that people are observing things and making assumptions. And hey, perception is reality to the person perceiving it. So I have to be very careful. You and I have to be careful. We have an enemy called Satan, remember? It's not the person who made the call. It's the devil trying to stir something that's not even there. Be careful. Be, get accountability. Never go alone. With, number four, never talk about your marriage with the opposite sex. I mean, she'll say to him, well, boy, you listen better than my husband. I just enjoy being with you. He'll say, well, my wife nags me all the time. She never meets my needs. Oh, my God. And suddenly, there's this emotional bond that happens. Next, hang around those with strong and faithful marriages. If you are constantly hanging around guys that are trashing their wives, going to strip bars, Stepping out on their wives, guess what? That lifestyle is going to jump off on you. You might say, well, preacher, I don't really know anybody that has a strong marriage. <laughs> You're hanging around the wrong people. That's why you need to get involved in a small group study. You need to get involved in, in hanging around couples that are in, in a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ because that's going to help you maintain that relationship in yours. Lastly, get out of inappropriate places. Do I really need to say more than that? If you're, on the, if you're going to places on the internet or you're in chat rooms, get out of them. Get out of them. You, you go chat with your wife. Go chat with your husband. Now, he won't listen. There may be a reason. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Radically reduce the risk. The Bible says keep a path far away from that place where temptation can cause problems. And the second thing we need to do is invest passionately in your marriage. Again, Proverbs 5, going on in 18 through 20. May your fountain be... Oh, I love these verses. Now, don't be offended, but read along with me. 
May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Hallelujah. They never look better when you're young. But they get more precious as we grow older together. Easy, easy. A loving dove. I'm fixing to hit the hammer right here. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her loving. That's the Word of God talking right here. This is the Word of God. I'm reading you the Word of God right here now. Don't you say, all right, preacher, what are you doing? Right here. You see, if we had more people listening to the Word of God, why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Oh, and the word captivate. The word captivate is a great word in the Hebrew. It's shagah. Say it with me. Shagah. Uh-huh. And you, got, you can't, you can't, you got to smile when you say, shagah. Can you say that? Raise your eyebrows. Shagah. Yeah, you got it. Try one more time. Shagah. There you go. There you go. Because it means to be enraptured, intoxicated, consumed. And when you're in, when you're shagah, you are intoxicated. You know what I'm talking about. Ooh. So sappy and love. Guys do things they would never think of doing when they're in love. Oh, mercy. It's ugly. It's ugly to watch. It's ugly to watch. And you expect women to, you know, carry on. But men, oh, mercy. I see these young guys talking on Facebook to their girlfriends. Oh, mercy. It's ugly. It's ugly. Men will drive hours to see their girlfriend for 10 minutes to turn around and drive hours to somewhere else. Just because they ain't got no money, but here they go. Crazy. Shagah. Now last week we learned a Hebrew word about how David was looking at Bathsheba. Remember it? Ra'ah. Ra'ah. Well, we don't want Ra'ah. We want Shagah. You ready? Shagah. got to raise those eyebrows or it won't make any sense. Shagah. There you go. We passionately invest in our own marriage. And let's be honest. There are those today who have hurting marriages. And that's not a point of embarrassment. Don't walk around with this fake face of pride portraying that my marriage is awesome when you're about to be having some difficulties. Let God do some healing work in you. And He can. And He will if you let Him. That's why I always tell couples before marriage, make sure Jesus is in the center of your relationship. Because when you cling to the cross, it's going to be hard to fight each other. (laughs) But let me give you five things that you need to do if your marriage is hurting. Number one, get open. Get open. Get with people you trust. Let them and you invest in some folks who will better yourselves. So open yourself up to the right people. And let them help you. Number two, get alone. Get alone. That's something that's forgotten nowadays. I, I'm telling you, beat me with a stick to make me go shop at Walmart. You, you know how I feel about that lovely place, Walmart. You know, where they have 95 checkout lanes and two are open. You know how I feel about it. So we were out there last night at Walmart. Why? Because I love my little five-foot wife. And I'll go walk around with her and watch her and hang out with her because it's safer to be with her than where I might be. Amen? 
That's it. But we've got to get, spend some time alone. Now, I don't know if I'd call that a date. There's times when I take her out on a date and she almost has heart failure. But, you know, it's, it's awesome. Marriages need that. Kids can drain the life out of you. Sometimes you've got to just tell them, whoop, and take care of each other. Take care of each other. I can't find a babysitter. Lock them up in the bathroom. I don't know what to do with them. <clears throat> Tie them up on the clothesline. <laughs> Number three, get spiritual. Pray together. Now, this is an awesome thing. John Trent is a counselor. John Trent uh, revealed that couples that pray a minimum of four times a week that they are one in 100,052 of those marriages that will end in divorce. The power of a praying couple is life-changing at a minimum of four times a week. Man, be praying together. Doing stuff spiritually together. Get help. Get some good counseling. I do some of it, but I've discovered that people, yeah, I have to know too much. And sometimes it's difficult if you want to be if you want to reveal too much to me because I'm your pastor. And I totally understand that. I didn't for years, but I do now. So I have some key guys that I recommend to do that type of counseling outside our church. I can do some of it up front and not, not be too invasive, but when it gets down to the nitty gritty, you might need to get some counseling. You may need to go to a marriage weekend. You may need to go to a marriage workshop or marriage seminar. And they're here and they're over and we, and we talk about some of them. You might need to do that. You might say, man, I'm too far past that. Oh, no, you're not. You're never too far past it. We can always do a checkup from the neck up. Amen. <laughs> As old Zig Ziglar would say. And then lastly, get intimate. And that's what it means. That's what it means. We oftentimes don't spend the quality time taking care of each other's needs. In 1 Corinthians 7, once you're married, you don't own your body anymore. Your spouse does. And so you need to be careful and make sure that all the needs are being met. You know, you might need to get away for a weekend. It's one of the reasons I went away with Cindy to Ohio. I, I, February and Ohio, they don't really go well together. You know what I'm saying? Those people understand about snow up there. We were there the first day, and it, 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 it snowed seven inches of snow. It's, it's just, and the further northeast you went, the worse it got, because that's up by the Great Lakes. They're talking 30 inches of snow. Oh, my goodness. I want to come back where it melts off in a few days. <laughs> but you need to spend time together. And I needed to spend some time with her. And I needed to get away with her. You need to do the same thing. Take advantage of the opportunity. Somebody. You'll find somebody who will watch your kids if they know what you're doing. Why you're doing it. Okay? can make a huge difference. Number one, radically reduce the risk. Number two, invest passion in your marriage. And then number three, visualize the destruction. Visualize the destruction. Again, in Proverbs 5. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Have you considered what a wrong decision can do? What a lustful decision can cause? You take the heart of the very best friend you have, and you crush it. You destroy it. 
A spouse who has absolutely done everything you could ask for. Who has been faithful, dedicated, sacrificing. And that choice, that one choice crushes the best thing that's ever happened to you. Now I've watched couples who have gone through that and have reconciled and they're so strong in their marriage now it's unbelievable. I remember a couple that I was counseling some years ago. And she came to my office and said, he filed for divorce. What can I do? I said, nothing. She looked at me. I said, all you can do is work on you. You can't change his mind. You have to work on you. That was in May, and in July I was doing a remarriage ceremony for them in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Because she decided that day to make changes in her. She had no pretense that they would reconcile, but she made changes in her. And he saw those changes. Wow. How about that? And they're happily married today. Praise the Lord. That's the power of God. Think about kids. You never know what this thing can do to kids' relationships as they develop them in the future. One momentary choice, you can lose everything that you've counted on and counted to be so special. So visualize that destruction. Holidays without the kids there. In-laws that never speak to you again. A loss of your church family and friends. A, a loss of your good name and integrity. And let alone what we do to the name of God. If you visualize the destruction and that hasn't made it an, an impact enough on you, let me give you a few stats. What percent actually marry the forbidden lover? Anybody know? 3%. What percent of those marriages end in divorce? 75%. What are the odds of a lasting marriage? 0.075%. I've given you a few other scriptures there on your outline and up on the board there to uh, uh, check out later. But why are these statistics true? Because you are trying, you are trying to build a marriage on lies and deceit. And God never blesses sin. People don't plan to commit adultery, but statistics show that 50% will. Oklahoma is still number two in the rate of divorce behind Reno, Nevada. Oklahoma. Bible Belt. Buckle of the Bible Belt. Take a deep breath with me, would you? Tough subject. My intention is not to judge, condemn, not what I'm here for. Because I believe the best response to this or any sin is the response that Jesus gives. When he was talking to the woman who was actually caught in adultery, I've always thought that was an interesting story, how the Pharisees caught her in adultery. <laughs> Think about it. All the religious, righteous people were saying as they gathered around her, stone the woman. Jesus said, fair enough. You want to stone her? Then any one of you who has not sinned, you throw the first stone. And the Bible says that each man began to drop his stone in the ground and turn around and walk away. One by one, they walked away. And Jesus looked at this broken, this sinful woman who was sorry for what she had done. And He said, Woman, where are your condemners? She looked around. They're not here. And Jesus said, Here it is. Then neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. 
the great news of God is that no matter what we've done or what has been done or how we stumbled or how we blew it or what choices we made that were bad, He can restore instantly because He loves us. He died for that sin. In fact, I love 2 Timothy 2.13. gives us the greatest news of all. It says, even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. And then my most favorite verse, I tell everybody and I use it myself every day. 1 John 1.9 If we are faithful to confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let today be the day that He sets you free. That He sets you free. Oh, Father, we come to You this morning in difficult subject. God, this is a hard subject to preach about because it affects so many people in so many different ways and God I know it touches people at different levels ultimately the picture of adultery is what we do to you by the sin that we continue to commit yet Father you still love us you still care about us Yet, Father, You keep showing up every day to bring blessing upon blessing upon blessing into our lives. Oh, God, would we make better choices. Oh, God, would we safeguard. Would we radically reduce that risk. Would we visualize the destruction that could happen from ill-fated choices. And, God, can we also realize and remember how much You love us. You loved us enough to send Jesus to die for every sin that we have committed or ever will commit. And that is an awesome thing. You've given us the formula. We just got to come to You and talk to You about it. Father, we love You. I love You. The people in this room love You. And Father, if there's anybody in this room <clears throat> that needs reassurance of Your love for them, that needs a special touch of Your Spirit in them, would You touch them? Would You radically, radically touch them today? And God, would they leave this room encouraged, not discouraged? Would they leave this room ready to take baby steps to make corrections in their life in whatever sin area they may face? And at that same moment when they just turn and glance at You, Your promise is You will run you will run to us. So God, I'm looking forward to the victories that are going to be experienced in this group of people. Because of your son Jesus. Because of your forgiveness. Because of your love. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen.